Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. Greetings and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Delighted to have you with me. Y'all, I, I feel like an adult all of a sudden. I've had to sign a, an office lease. I'm finally moving my studio into a real office and I got a, got a big Steve Pinley, I guess, for a new backdrop. Um, Washington crossing the Delaware or something. I got to, got to do something, build out a studio. It's, it's, it's fun and intimidating and it's whirlwind here at the end of the year, uh, getting all this stuff done to, for the new year. And then I get to take some time off here in the next week or so and go to a hockey game in Las Vegas. I did, by the way, you will be proud of me. I have finished the Christmas shopping. Praise Jesus. Now I got to talk about a story and it may be the biggest story. Honestly, I've thought about it. I've been short of of the second coming happening. This is arguably the most important story of the millennium. If it comes to bear out, and it looks like it does. If you're a longtime listener of this program, one of the things I've talked about over time is it is a personal fascination how we produce electricity. All of our electricity, in with few exceptions, solar panels being one of them, photovoltaic cells, how they convert sunlight to energy. Uh, but most of our energy processes involve turning a turbine so that a magnet spins around a copper coil that wraps around an iron rod. And we produce electricity in that capacity. That is, with very few exceptions, again, there there are a few, they're just not very common other than solar panels. To produce energy in this country, we spend an enormous amount of time trying to spin magnets around a copper coil that is itself around an iron rod that produces electricity. If you ever did it in grade school, you take an iron nail, you wrap copper around it from top to bottom, you have two ends on the end, you hold both ends, and somebody moves a magnet back and forth, and you can feel the electricity generating on that. It's a a very weird sensation. Of course, it's larger, it becomes fatal, but you can kind of feel the buzzing, tingling of the atoms moving. Uh, it, It actually is really interesting. And that is the way we produce electricity in this country. Windmills blow the turbines and and spin the turbine. Hydroelectric dams provide the power of uh, water under pressure to spin it. The most common, however, is to boil the water, generate steam. The steam passes into turbines, which begins to spin the turbines to spin the magnets around the copper coils around the iron bars, and thus you have electricity. That's that's it. I, I don't know. Maybe scientifically there is no other way to produce electricity that we've found that can be done efficiently. I genuinely am fascinated at the idea that our electricity comes from uh, causing water under pressure to move to spin a magnet around a copper coil with an iron bar or a variety of some way of doing that with the copper coil, the iron rod, and the magnet. 
And instead of trying to find new ways to produce electricity, scientists have spent a long time trying to find new ways to boil the water. Let me say that again so you, so you get my point here because this is, this is the important breaking off point for history. Scientists can't really find new ways to produce electricity. Converting sunlight to energy through solar panels is one, but the most common used everywhere we know of in the known universe is spinning the magnet around the copper coil around the iron bar. And typically that's done with water under pressure everywhere that we know of. And scientists have spent more time trying to find new ways to use water to spin the magnet than they have trying to come up with brand new ways to produce electricity beyond the magnets, copper wire, and the iron. Now, we have several ways to do this. Hydroelectric uses water under pressure, as I mentioned. Uh, we have most commonly over time used natural gas or carb or uh, coal as carbon. We've burned it, generated a fire, boiled the water, used the steam, spin the magnet around the uh, around the copper and the iron, and we've produced electricity. Uh, steam generation has been it. Uh, we have used coal. We've used natural gas. Even in some places, they actually use mirrors out west, um, outside of Vegas. You can see it if you take off from the air in, in Los Angeles in particular. It's a pilot's worst nightmare. They literally have a, a farm where they have taken mirrors. They surround the mirrors and focus on a giant sphere of water on a tower. And they focus the sunlight to be able to constantly during the day, as long as the sun is shining, boil that water. It's actually more efficient, apparently, than the solar panels to just boil the water, to produce the steam, to turn the turbine, to move the magnet around the copper that's around the iron to produce the electricity. We've used uh, nuclear power facilities. And those nuclear power facilities tend to use uh, fusion reactors, fission reactors, in particular fission reactors. And those fission reactors then reduce byproducts unless you build a breeder reactor where you can also use the byproducts to then continue the reactions, but it leaves waste. There is a holy grail from the 1950s to today. Scientists have been trying to produce a contained, controlled fusion reaction. Now, to step back, for those of you who don't remember your physics and chemistry, a fission reaction is when you take an atom of helium and you sever it in two and you produce two atoms of hydrogen. Fission is separating an atom. Fusion is fusing together two atoms. It takes a lot of energy to fuse two atoms together. And when it's done, it produces enormous energy. It produces nuclear weapons. The original bomb dropped on, I think, Hiroshima and Nagasaki was fission bomb. And then 
we figured out how to make fusion bombs. Fusion bombs, the fusion is at the heart of the sun. The sun is not on fire. The sun is a ball of plasma. And that ball of plasma is produced by a nuclear fusion reaction, the gravity of which is so dense it contains that plasma as a star. And we want fusion reactions. Here's the problem, though. To produce a contained and controlled nuclear reaction in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, and most of the 80s, it took more energy to contain the reaction than the reaction itself could produce. So there's no reason to produce it because you're not putting out enough energy. Now, there's something called the perpetual motion machine that, uh, by the laws of physics, can't work. Something cannot continue to produce in, in on this planet enough energy to keep itself going and then to produce other energy. It just doesn't work. The laws, the, their friction and inertia and everything else, you, you can't, there's no perpetual motion machine. No, there is no way to develop a machine that moves constantly without end because of friction and everything else. You got to put more energy in to keep it going. With a fusion reaction, the way they designed it, essentially, and I, this is, listen, this is layman's terms because I'm no expert in this. I know the basics. Essentially, they use lasers, laser beams, and magnets to harness a plasma that generates a nuclear fusion reaction that produces an inordinate amount of heat, the heat equivalent of the sun. And they can do it in a controlled reaction where the heat is not released into the environment causing global warming, the heat is then converted into energy, and here's the problem. For the longest time, the conversion of the heat into energy required the input of additional energy to keep it going. By the 1990s, scientists had figured out a way to make the process so efficient that the energy that was produced could replicate the process and keep the process going. So you had an initial input of energy from a third-party source to fire up the magnets and the laser beams and get the plasma going. And then the reaction itself could produce enough power to keep itself going. The problem is that what good is that? It doesn't produce enough power to do anything else. You add in the capacity for water to pass through and the heat comes out to convert it to steam. Well, you're taking power out of the equation to power itself and the whole thing fell apart. Scientists are today announcing a breakthrough in the pursuit of limitless fusion power. Essentially, and now I'm reading from the Financial Times, Physicists have, since the 1950s, sought to harness the fusion reaction that powers the sun, but no group has been able to produce more energy from the reaction than it consumes, a milestone known as net energy gain or target gain, which would help prove the process could provide a reliable, abundant alternative to fossil fuels and conventional nuclear energy. The U.S.'s federal Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory in California which uses a process called inertial confinement fusion that involves bombarding a tiny pellet of hydrogen plasma with the world's largest laser, has achieved net energy gain in a fusion experiment in the last two weeks. 
Although many scientists believe fusion power stations are decades away, the technology's potential is hard to ignore. Fusion reactions emit no carbon, produce no long-lived radioactive waste, and a small cup of the hydrogen fuel could theoretically power a house for hundreds of years. The U.S. breakthrough comes as the world wrestles with high energy prices and the need to rapidly move away from burning fossil fuels to stop average global temperatures reaching dangerous levels. The fusion reaction at the U.S. government facility produced 2.5 megajoules of energy, which was about 120% of the 2.1 megajoules of energy in the lasers, people with knowledge of the results said, adding that the data is still being analyzed. The neutrons released from the reaction damaged the measuring equipment, so they don't really know how much power was produced. But they do seem to believe the power itself was produced, and the most interesting part of it is it's clean. And now there's the catch. So for the first time since the 1950s, scientists in a lab have generated a fusion reaction without a nuclear explosion in a way that produces more energy than the energy required to contain it, thereby making it, when they work out the kinks and figure out all the extras, a clean energy source that can last for hundreds of years with no wasteful radioactive byproduct, like a fission reactor. And the global warming kids hope that they'll stop the silliness and give it up. Why? Because don't you know the world's going to end in the next 10 years and we need to spend our resources on figuring out how to solve that. And since we know this is still going to take probably 50 years, there's just no reason to pursue it further. That's actually an argument being made in the climate change community today. We're on the cusp of history, probably the biggest story of the millennium. They finally figured out how to contain a fusion reaction of hydrogen within a plasma held by magnets held together with laser beams to produce clean energy, something they've been working for since the 1950s. They're on the verge of announcing it is official. They figured out a way to do it that produces more power than the reaction itself consumes. And the environmentalists are like, yeah, but it's 50 years away and we're all going to die in 10. So maybe give it up and focus on something else. I kid you not, the environmentalists of the world, they don't actually want a solution to climate change. They probably actually view it as a good thing but the hysteria gets them funding, so they want to continue to be hysterical. And here is a something that could actually solve the problems they care about, but it's depriving them of the money, so they'd rather shut it down, take the money for themselves, and not actually solve the problem. Absolutely absurd. A friend of mine and I were discussing bowl and branch sheets the other night when he was sitting on the front porch with me, and he didn't believe that they got softer and softer every time you wash them. His wife was not convinced at all. She figured it was all marketing hype. Now she wants bowl and branch sheets for all of their beds at home. Why? Because they really do get softer every time you wash them. They're free of toxins, pesticides, harsh chemicals at every step of the process. They're the finest 100% organic cotton on earth. They're made by artisans who earn the 
the pay and the respect they deserve. And right now, you can bring home a better night's sleep this holiday season with Bowl and Branch Bedding. Their signature sheets even come wrapped and ready in a beautiful holiday gift box. It's going to look good. It's going to feel great. For a limited time, get 20% off your first set of sheets and free shipping when you use promo code ERIC at BowlandBranch.com. That's BowlandBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. Promo code is ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at BowlandBranch.com. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, 877-97-ERIC. I have to confess. I have to confess. I watched. May God have mercy on my soul. I watched the first and only the first episode of that Harry and Meghan trash on Netflix, and it is trash. Can I I just say, so I've got a lot of pictures on my phone. Very few of those pictures are of me. I don't like my picture being taken. I don't like to take pictures of myself. Uh, My son turned 14 on Friday. He does not like pictures of himself being taken. He will not let me take pictures of him anymore. And I get it. I am fascinated by how these two people are that self-absorbed. The amount of selfies, the amount of videos they have of themselves. I don't know if Harry and Meghan know this, but just just, um, to to Harry and and Meghan uh, Wales or Windsor or whatever the heck your last name is going to be, Windsor Mountbatten, uh, there is a button when you enter the camera mode on your iPhone. It has like two little curve, two little arrows in a circle. And if you touch it, it actually flips the camera around so you don't have to see yourself all the time in the picture. I'm shocked at the amount of selfies and, and self-absorbed videos these people make. And they're burying it all in some sort of therapy session where there's no actual therapist. They're just telling their truth, which isn't the truth. It's whatever the hell they want to spin for themselves. It's kind of gross, actually. It's really kind of gross. I have no interest in watching any more of this trash. I mean, it was as bad as I had heard it was going to be, uh, the level of self-absorption of these two people who are trashing an institution that, by the way, neither of them would be anybody but for that institution. They themselves chose not to be a part of it. He at least knew the rules going in and is now going to trash it and try to burn it down because he can't get his way. What a spoiled brat. Trauma and all that. My goodness, but good grief. This It's just ridiculous. Turn the camera around. Stop making it about yourself. But you, however, should go to omahasteaks.com and make this about yourself. Great savings for the holidays, for yourself and your family, for those you love or want to impress at omahasteaks.com. And if you put Eric in at checkout, E-R-I-C-K, you get $40 extra of savings at omahasteaks.com. You get the bacon wrap fillets, the New York strips, their gourmet steak burgers. You get the boneless chicken breasts. You can get ready-made sides. You can even get comfort food, main courses. You pop in the oven and warm up. If you don't want to use the grill, You can get desserts and so much more at omahasteaks.com. And if you put Eric in at checkout as a promo code, you save an additional $40. Minimum order supply, but $40 off. So you can get your turkey, you can get your ham, you can get sides, you can get gifts for friends and family, you can get packages from Omaha Steaks for the holiday season. For friends, family, loved ones, those you want to impress, 
omahasteaks.com. At checkout, you'll see a little promo code box you put in, E-R-I-C-K, that's Eric, at omahasteaks.com. Get over there today for the holidays. Time is running out. I want to tell you guys a little about a group I've been working with, Americans for Prosperity. Maybe you've heard of them. They're the largest grassroots network in the country, fighting to expand freedom and opportunity so that we can unleash prosperity in America again. Here's what I like about Americans for Prosperity. They focus on building movements at the community level, not Washington, D.C. That's actually how I first came to know them, in Georgia, helping rise up the Tea Party movement in 2010. They understand we're not going to find solutions in Washington. we got to take power out of Washington. That's going to have to come from Americans like you outside the Beltway bubble. That's why I'm excited to partner with Americans for Prosperity to provide an effective platform where we can talk to our fellow Americans and advocate for solutions to the most critical challenges facing the country. I encourage you to learn more about Americans for Prosperity by going to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. You can call nationwide. Let's go to the phones. Ted, you're up next. Welcome to the show, Ted. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What's going on? First time caller. Well, welcome. First time caller. And uh, thank you, sir. What I want to do is I was going to tell you uh, a revelation I had. I'm not a pastor or nothing, but a revelation I had Tuesday night in November. And I'm going to tell you this story and I want to hear your thoughts on it. I'm in the ninth grade, I mean the fourth grade, in 1963 in Tampa, Florida, when Kennedy is assassinated. All right, my mother comes to pick us up. They let us out of school early. My mother's crying. Everybody's parents have picked them up are crying. I'm going, Mom, what happened? She said, Kennedy has been assassinated. So you know the impact that had on this country at that time. It was like 9-11. People compared to 9-11. You remember it, don't you? I wasn't born in there. Well, listen, listen, man. Uh, well, the way you started, Ted, you said I, I'm in ninth grade. No, I'm in I'm in fourth grade. And I thought you don't sound like you're in fourth grade. <laughs> no, no, I was it. I was in the fourth grade in 1963, and so I, I vividly remember all this Kennedy assassination. Bottom line is, my dad said it. I agree with it. Since 1963, this country's been looking for John and Jackie as president and, and first lady. I believe that with all my heart. Remember, there was comparisons to Bill Clinton. Oh, mm-hmm. it's the young, handsome president thing. Oh, yeah. Barack Obama. You know, Barack Obama, he's the next John Kennedy. You know, Bill Clinton might have been a handsome guy, but Hillary was no Jackie. <laughs> I can tell you that <laughs> well, and, you know, to, and to be so, fair, I mean, there, there was the celebrity status of, of the Reagans coming in from Hollywood, too. Yes. Well, so... My revelation is I'm watching the election night, Tuesday night in November. Ron DeSantis, is, it's time for him to give his acceptance speech after he won in Florida. His wife comes out, beautiful lady, a warrior, man. She's a cancer survivor, dressed in this beautiful gown. She talks about what a wonderful husband Ron was during her cancer and how he ran the state and took care of the kids. He comes out, nice-looking guy, gives his acceptance speech. At the end of the speech, confetti comes down. All of a sudden, to the left, comes this lady out with three little bitty children to bring to them to pick up and hold. And when I saw that, I said, oh, my God, there's John, Jackie, Carolyn, and John Jr. <laughs> and I says, so So I'm telling my daughter, who is um, lives in Seattle, and I live right below Atlanta. She lives in Seattle, works for Amazon, hates living in a radical progressive liberal state because she's a conservative. But she's got a job there. Anyway, we're talking about this. We talk about politics a lot. 
So I'm telling her this revelation I had about Ron DeSantis. I said, my God, it looked like John and Jackie up there. My daughter says, Dad, I'm going to send you some pictures. And I'm not lying, Eric. You know these people behind the scenes in these polit- in politics. There's some brilliant people back there thinking of stuff that we don't think of. It looked like it looks like two years ago, somebody has discovered this, and there's pictures of Ron DeSantis's wife wearing almost the exact same clothes Jackie Kennedy did. My daughter's pulling up pictures and sending them to me on the phone, and I'm looking at it, going, "Oh my God, have they been started working on us from a subliminal standpoint?" make Ron and, and her look like uh, John and Jackie, because I'm going to tell you, sir, if he runs, there's a lot of Democrats. Because of that, I think, going to vote for Ron DeSantis. Want to know your opinion on it? Appreciate All you, right. sir. Um, Thank you for taking my call. Ted, listen, I, I appreciate that, and, and I like being able to give you some time to lay this out. So if you are 53, you were born in the year of the Kennedy assassination. I don't think it necessarily has to do with with um, Jack and Jackie. Although, let me say this. There is a, a, a breed of reporter who they're dying out because, I mean, they're in their, their 70s, 80s, 90s now who were around when that sort of stuff happened and was big. But uh, for years... In the 80s and in the 90s, the the Kennedy comparisons were there. I think of John Harwood, uh, the progressive who just got ditched by CNN, who for years tried to pretend to be some sort of objective reporter. He's not. He's very liberal. And he was a a worshiper at the the foot of the Bobby Kennedy um, legacy. The Kennedys for boomers reigned supreme. And at the institutional level, boomers are still largely in charge. It's the Gen Xers and beyond who have moved on. And uh, in the dying light of the boomers, there is something to be said there. Ron DeSantis and his wife would like to galvanize older American voters to vote for him in large part because older Americans vote more than anyone else. It's not per se... John F. Kennedy and Jacqueline Kennedy, though. It is the stable family man image. Now, if you will recall, in the 1960s, the stable family man image was John Kennedy. We know now the man slept around with everyone. He was a total man whore cheated on Jackie Kennedy relentlessly. That's what we know now. But back then, it was the press itself that helped cover it all up. The men in the newsrooms loved Jack Kennedy. They wanted to drink with Jack Kennedy. They covered it all up. What the DeSantis family sells is normalcy. Here's a husband and a wife who love each other. The wife has struggled with breast cancer. They have kids They are parents, their mom and dad, their husband and wife. They have something that Donald Trump does not have. So it plays in two separate ways. The first way, if we're very frank, blunt and honest, Donald Trump is on his third wife. And while she was pregnant, cheated on her with a porn star. This is not in dispute. 
It is a known fact. And it is one of those known facts that's actually real. Donald Trump cheated on his third wife while she was pregnant and did so in a sexual relationship with a porn star. Ron DeSantis on the campaign trail won re-election with a wife who was battling breast cancer. He has been a stable, loving husband and father. That contrast in and of itself is something. When you think about the candidates who ran in 2016 against Trump, uh, and, and let's do this, 2016 Republican presidential primary. I'm, I'm pulling this up so I get the whole list because there were so many I can't keep track of them. My goodness. There was Donald Trump. There was Ted Cruz. There was Marco Rubio. There was John Kasich, Ben Carson, Jeb Bush, Rand Paul, Mike Huckabee, Carly Fiorina, Chris Christie, Jim Gilmore, Rick Santorum. Uh, before uh, the people who withdrew decided not to run, but we're thinking about it, uh, George Pataki, Lindsey Graham, Bobby Jindal, Scott Walker, Rick Perry. Of the ones who actually ran, Santorum, Gilmore, Christie, Fiorina, Huckabee, Paul, Bush, Carson, Kasich, Rubio, Cruz, Trump. Rick Santorum was the only one who really made his family part of the attraction. And even he didn't do as much. He wound up withdrawing on February 3rd. Jim Gilmore a couple days later. But none of them really made their family a central part of it. Now, I, I got to be very honest with you. This is one of those things that I tell you guys, tell you as your friend on the radio, and it's one of those things that, that burns bridges for me with some of these people who run for president. Not all of them have great family lives. In fact, a great many of them poured so much of their time and attention into their political career, their family felt expendable and there's a lot of resentment. And so it's very hard to make your family the center of a campaign when the family feels used. But the DeSantis family has been an integral part of it. His wife has been his biggest champion. In fact, it's his wife, if stories are to be believed, and I have no insider knowledge on this, but it's his wife who told him, now's your time, Ron, you need to run for president. And so that segments her in a way that others can't. One of the last times I remember um, somebody doing this, you know, Laura Bush didn't want to be on the campaign trail with George W. Bush, uh, but you saw Michelle Obama pretty aggressively out there campaigning with Barack Obama. That it kind of you, you've got a you've got a surrogate that people know this is a direct link. It's not just a mouthpiece for the campaign; it's the actual candidate spouse, and people like that. Uh, there's an air of a return to normalcy, a air of return to normalcy, in that you have a husband and a wife, neither of whom are cheating on each other. They've got a stable family life, and that sends the signal of normalcy for evangelical Christians who decided they had to hold their nose and go for the guy who cheated on his wife with a porn star. It sends the signal of, hey, I can vote for a family man who hadn't committed adultery. For the nation, it just sends an air of normalcy. I've got this normal family that I can vote for. You know, the, think of the Rudy Giuliani situation. The Rudy Giuliani was a poop show. To put it politely, in ways I can say on radio, it was an absolute poop show. Uh, Rudy Giuliani and his ex-wife, it was just, it was a codependent nightmare. 
And when he first ran for governor or, or ran for mayor, if you remember at the time, I was young at the time, but I remember his son, who just is old enough now, he ran for governor and lost, uh, was was a nightmare at the inauguration. And it just, there, there were issues there. People want someone normal. Now, I will tell you in my experience, the people at that level who run for president, they're not really that normal. Ron DeSantis may be the most normal. It's like I, I find with Brian and Marty Kemp, they're two of the most normal people, and I like that. And normal tends to translate very well for voters. I mean, say what you will about Joe and Jill Biden, maybe to a lot of the American public, they come across as more normal, at least not as risky a proposition as Trump, but they're not normal. Joe Biden in particular is not a normal person. Joe Biden is a deeply odd, quirky person. But his odd quirks translated as more normal to people. And then he got elected and people were like, what was this? We, I thought we were returning to normal. People still want to return to normal. I mean, if, if there's a lesson to be learned by both parties from the midterms, it's that people really do want a return to normalcy. And they don't think that either party is giving them a return to normalcy. And a lot of voters, decide, including a significant portion of Republicans, decided they would rather stay with the Democrats right now because though they are not a return to normal, they're not a definite descent into crazy like people. People thought the GOP was. So here comes a highly competent governor from Florida who's married with kids, whose family loves him, and he clearly loves them. He's not a partier. He's not a showboat. He's a workhorse. It kind of sends a signal to the evangelical base of the Republican Party. We can get behind this guy. Now, there are others out there, too, who will make a show of it. Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley's husband, a great guy, been in the military. He was not frequently on the campaign stage with her in large part because he was in Afghanistan working for his country. Great person. Tom Cotton, it's decided he's not going to run. Um, he's got a good family. Josh Hawley. I, the first time I met Josh Hawley, I, I was with, it was uh, an event and his wife dragged him over. She knew who I was, dragged him over to introduce him. Uh, normal guy, good family. People want normalcy. People want to return to normalcy. And as long as they're not getting that normalcy, they are going to, there's going to be a great disruption out there. And that's what DeSantis and some of these other candidates bring to the table. So, yeah, Ted, I don't know per se that it is they want John and Jackie Kennedy. It's what John and Jackie Kennedy brought to the table. It was the iconic picture of the American family here in the White House, youthful energy for the future. And DeSantis and his wife absolutely do bring that. And so to the extent it's a, it's a tie to John Kennedy and Jackie Kennedy, not necessarily. To the extent it's a tie into the image of a young American family full of energy headed into the future that John and Jackie Kennedy brought in the 1960s, that's exactly what DeSantis and his wife are doing, perhaps by design. And that sort of stuff matters greatly. Food for thought. Now, Jim, where am I headed? Ah, speaking of, Jim told me, and then I got distracted. Patriot Mobile is what I'm supposed to be telling you about, which is actually a good tie-in because they're funding the conservative movement and the candidates and causes you care about. Ron DeSantis in Florida went and found himself a handful of conservative parents to take on school boards and take on the woke um, school board members, and they all won. Patriot Mobile did the same thing in Texas. They went out and they found woke school board members who needed to be challenged. They found conservatives to challenge them. And with a portion of their profits, they helped fund those conservatives. And they all won too. 
And you could be a part of what Patriot Mobile is doing by taking your business to them. They're just a cell phone company. They give you great service. They give you guaranteed great service. They use the same cell towers everyone else uses, and they take a portion of their profits and they give it to the causes you care about. What you do is go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. You can even go on their website at patriotmobile.com slash Eric and see their coverage map all the way down to your house. You can see how good the data is, the 5G, the voice, all of that. You can call them as well, 972-PATRIOT, 972-PATRIOT. They have 100% U.S.-based customer service. You call 972-PATRIOT to talk to Patriot Mobile, tell them I sent you, you get free activation. You're not talking to somebody in Mumbai. You're talking to somebody in the United States of America. And they're committed Christian conservatives. The entire company, top to bottom, that's who they are, Christian conservatives. And I hope you'll consider taking your business to them. 972-PATRIOT or patriotmobile.com slash Eric. You're doing business with a company that not only shares your values, but takes a portion of their profits and puts them to help those causes. This is the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. Wherever you are nationwide, you want to grow your business, reach out to them, firstlibertyga.com. See if they're a good fit for you. They make their own decisions, firstlibertyga.com. Politico has a story out. You know, we're talking about the, the images of, of 2024 and stuff. I, I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier. Um, Tim Scott isn't committed to a White House bid, but his colleagues in the Senate think he's considering it. Joni Ernst is very excited about a potential Tim Scott presidential run. John Cornyn would advise him to go for it. John Brasso says it doesn't get any better than Tim Scott. Lindsey Graham, who spent much of Trump's presidency sticking to his side, said he's intrigued by the possibility of a Scott presidential bid and wants to see what Tim does. Scott would bring something to the table on day one, Lindsey Graham said. It's one of the most compelling stories of any Republican. He sure does. Scott's not personally chatty about the prospect of 2024. He declined to talk and directed questions to his staff. His Republican colleagues are buzzing about his massive re-election victory, rising national profiles, substantial fundraising halls, and cross-country travels for other candidates, and they're happy to talk him up. He has carved out a unique lane, well-liked by people like Mitch McConnell, never publicly at odds with Trump world, even as he's offered halting criticism. He's the only black Republican senator. He'd offer his party a compelling chance to build on its long-running effort to boost candidate recruitment with appeals to Democratic-leading constituencies. It is very interesting. I got to tell you, I I have floated the idea for a while, a DeSantis-Scott ticket, I think would be one of the most formidable tickets out there. Um, Or a Scott DeSantis, Tim Scott, it just, in all honesty, in, in all honesty, sincerity and candor, I know Tim Scott. I don't know him well, but I know him. He's been on my program several times. I've had him at my conferences. I want to have him on stage with me this August at my conference in Atlanta. Tim Scott is a good man. In fact, when people say, why can't we get good people to run for office? He's the sort of good man you should want to run for office. He is a good man. When people say there are no good men in politics, they don't know Tim Scott. He is a profoundly good and decent human being who wants to use his platform to make the world better for others. Uh, We should encourage people like Tim Scott to run for office, whether it's the presidency or otherwise, whether he can make it or not, just because we should see good people like him run.